1: Thank you like Anthony, hello everyone and welcome to the 335th edition of Talk 10 brought to you today by AHIMA and joining me this morning is my co-host, the very popular Dr. Erica Reamer. Dr. Reamer is the founder and the president of Erica Reamer, M.D. Incorporated. Good morning Erica. Good morning Chuck and good morning everyone. This morning our lead story is about ICD-11, believe it or not, and to report on this trending topic is nationally recognized coding authority, Rod DeBuckles.
2: And talk about trending topics, Glorianne Bryant is standing by to report on the 2019 ICD-10-CM official guidelines that CMS released last week.
1: That's right. And there are some important new changes in the guidelines, as first reported here by ICD-10 Monitor.
2: Also on the broadcast is former CMS career professional Stanley Nockimson with his popular RegWatch segment.
1: Uh, Always looking forward to what Stanley has to say.
2: And another trending topic are the proposed changes to E&M coding. Deb Greider will have the latest.
1: And you have a Talk in Tuesday listener survey. What are you asking everybody today?
2: This morning we're asking, does your organization have CDI on the weekends? Here are your choices. Yes. No, but we are planning to. No, we'd like to, but don't have sufficient staffing. No, we have no such plans and then not applicable. So select the answer that best represents you and your facility, and we'll review the results of the survey later in the broadcast. Chuck?
1: Thanks very much. We have much to report this morning, and we begin with Dr. Larry Field. He's the Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk. The Talk 10 Tuesday News
0: Desk is sponsored by ICD University, inviting you to visit the new ICD-10 Monitor webcast subscription portal. See the link in the handout tab in today's program or visit the ICD University web store. Here now is Dr. Larry Field.
3: Good morning, Chuck. Good morning, everybody. Uh, This past weekend, I had the opportunity and responsibility to represent my local medical society at the yearly Florida Medical Association meeting in Orlando, Florida. Uh, There, we had delegates from all across the state representing the 22,000 members of the Florida Medical Association, uh, which is one of the largest uh, medical associations in the country. Uh, We debated uh, the new EM proposal put out by CMS and overwhelmingly the delegation at greater than 95% of the physicians that were present as delegates voted for the FMA to go ahead and put in information and into uh, CMS to say that this is a crazy idea and that the changes should not take place as far as blending the E&M payment uh, for codes uh, 212 or 202 through 205 or through 215. And there was not really m- much in the way of debate. The only uh, voice that was uh, on the other side happened to be a dermatologist that was mostly procedural and uh, charges a lot of the 212 or lower-level visits and felt that, obviously, it would be better for his practice. Uh, if those rates were blended because he'd be picking up uh, a little more income on those patients. But in the end result is the Florida Medical Association will be supporting uh, the physicians of the state and, in my opinion, the physicians of the country, and putting a voice in in opposition to the e payment blending proposed by CMS. Back to you, Chuck.
1: Thanks, Dr. Field. That was Dr. Larry Field. Dr. Field is the treasurer at the American College of Physician Advisors. It's Tuesday. It's August the 7th, 2018, and you're listening to the 335th edition of Talk 10 Tuesday. Stand by.
0: Talk 10 Tuesday is brought to you today by AHIMA, the American Health Information Management Association. Have you heard? It's happening again. The 2019 ICD-10 code updates are here. AHEMA has more than 20 coding experts working to review all code updates in their entirety. They are creating webinar training to ensure you and your staff are prepared for success. In-depth, on-demand training webinars are available for ICD-10-CM, ICD-10-PCS, and specialties, including inpatient physical rehab, long-term care, physicians, clinical documentation improvement, and auditors. Purchase as an individual or for your entire organization at
1: codeupdates. Thank you, Clark Anthony. Well, you can expect some very important changes in the new official guidelines for ICD-10-CM. The guidelines were released last week by CMS. Here now with the details is Gloria and Bryant. Good morning, Gloria.
4: Good morning. It's great to be with you today. It's that time of the year. It's summertime. It's early August, and you know what that means. That means the updates to ICD-10-CM official guidelines for coding and reporting. And yes, they were released last week. We reported on them briefly. And there are some changes that are very notable that we need to be reviewing. Now, back in June, we did receive the updates to ICD-10-PCS guidelines. So those have already been released and out there for a little while now. The new guidelines are effective with discharges of October 1st, 2018, even though we're labeling them FY 2019, fiscal year 2019 starts October 1st. So that October 1st date is when we would, of course, use these guidelines and follow them. And this even means for our outpatient encounters for diagnosis coding as well, October 1st, this would apply we start off looking at the conventions in the guidelines convention number 15 and i title that w i
5: t h
4: with and we're all familiar with the discussion around the associated term with and there is an added wording it's in bold in the official guidelines around with and it states that with and or in should be interpreted to mean associated with or due to when it appears in the code title, the alphabetic index, and here's new words, either under a main term or subterm, either under a main term or some term. That's the new language, or an instructional note in the tabular list. So it tells us that we need to, as coding professionals, be sure to look either under the main term or the subterm in the alphabetic index. So that was some clarification language. And then in the general guidelines, in number 14, there's revised around the changes around social determinants. And HIM coding professionals should read over this guideline change carefully because it does contain quite a bit of information. The title is Documentation by clinicians other than the patient's provider. And in here, the code assignment is based on the documentation by the patient's provider, i.e. the physician or other qualified healthcare practitioner legally accountable for establishing the patient's diagnosis, excuse me. And there are a few exceptions, such as the codes around the BMI, the deep, uh, the depth of, excuse me, the non-pressure ulcers, and they go on to tell us the same language around BMI, dietary notes. But then they've added a whole new section here under social determinants. And that's in the category of Z55 through Z65 in the codes of ICD-10-CM. Representing persons with potential health hazards has thirds, related to social, economic, and psychosocial circumstances. These code assignments may be based on medical record documentation from clinicians involved in the care of the patient who are not the patient's provider. Since this information represents social information rather than medical diagnosis. So that's an important change that you want to know because we always debate, of course, the documentation and who it comes from. Now with guidelines, it's essential that we have education. So we need to read through the guidelines, note the changes, HIM coding and CDI professionals need to ensure that they and their staff have the appropriate education time. Not only to get their CEU units and credits to keep up their credentials, but to gain a greater understanding of the codes and how to assign them. This will drive us to accuracy. And there are some great opportunities to sign up for educational webinars and seminars between now and early October, so check out AHIMA, CHIA, ICD-10 Monitor, and others like that. You can Google the search engine and do some searching for ICD-10 FY19 updates, and I'm sure you'll find lots. I've included a link to the official guidelines in my article, so look at that. And as I close, and thank you for attending, remember, be accurate out there with all you do, be safe, and thank you for attending today. Now, back to you, Erica.
2: Thank you, Glorianne. A nice job on your article this morning. That was the past president of the California Health Information Association, Glorianne Bryant.
1: Chuck. Thanks, Erica, very much. And Glorianne, thank you. And you can read Glorianne's reporting on the new ICD-10 CM official guidelines at ICD10Monitor.com. And by the way, we are so proud to have Glorianne on our editorial board. Glorianne is Ashley, a nationally recognized HIM expert with more than thirty-five years of experience. Speaking of experience, here is healthcare IT expert Stanley Dawkinson with the Talk In Tuesday Reg Watch. Good morning, Stanley. A lot of news, of course, coming out of Washington these days.
6: Yes, sir, Chuck. Good morning to you and the panel and, and all of our listeners. So, this is the season for the 2019 Medicare facility, not the doc and the labs, but the facility payment rules. Every year, uh, based on law, uh, These rules are published to update payment rates and processes, as well as uh, publish the additional policies for the next fiscal year, which, as Ann mentioned, begins on October 1st. Now, these rules are all final rules. Uh, We've mentioned to you previously that these were published as proposed rules, and uh, comments were collected. These final rules are based on the published proposed rules, which were modified by any of the public comments that CMS agreed to. The rules are for inpatient and long-term care hospitals, skilled nursing facilities, inpatient psychiatric facilities, hospices, and inpatient rehab facilities, the Medicare payment uh, rates and rules for these different types of facilities. They're all available for downloading and review with condensed fact sheets on each rule available at the CMS website. Now, each of the rules follows the New HHS and CMS meaningful measures and patients over paperwork initiatives. They focus on more outcome based quality measures. They reduce the burden on providers and they make them, the system more transparent to patients. They also focus on promoting interoperability among EHRs in all the different facilities. I'll give you some highlights on each of the rules. For the inpatient prospective payment system, inpatient hospitals and long term care hospitals, The EHR reporting period for promoting interoperability is a minimum of any continuous 90-day period in each of the calendar years of 2019 and 2020, so it's no longer the full year. You only need to report on your use of EHRs for a minimum of 90 days. The scoring uh, for quality has a smaller set of objectives that provide a more flexible and less burdensome structure. This allows hospitals to place their focus back on patients. Includes two new e-prescribing methods related to the e-related e-prescri- to e-prescribing of opioids. It removes certain measures that don't emphasize interoperability in the electronic exchange of health information. Requires uh, hospitals to use the 2015 edition of the certified uh, electronic health record. It makes hospitals. Uh, publish a list of their standard charges via the Internet in a machine-readable format and requires them to update this information at least annually or more. It removes a total of 18 measures from the CMS quality programs and deduplicates another 25 measures, leaving only the measures that best correlate with patient care. CMS is reducing burden by easing documentation requirements and providing flexibility in several areas while maintaining important patient and program integrity, and it updates um, the hospital quality reporting program um, and um, increases the operating payment rates for hospitals by approximately 1.85%. For skilled nursing facilities, CMS will be using a new case mix model, the patient-driven payment model focusing on the patient's condition rather than the particular amount of care that's uh, being provided to the patient, focusing on clinically relevant factors. And um, CMS estimates the aggregate impact of the payment raise will be an increase of $820 million to Medicare payments to SNFs. For inpatient psychiatric facilities, there is an estimate of a 1.1% increase in payment and removing five program measures... Um, excuse me, um, it removes five quality program measures, again, helping to reduce uh, the, the burden on these. For hospices, hospices will see a 1.8% or $340 million increase in their payments for 2019, um, and provide several updates to the quality reporting program for hospices to improve transpa- transparency for patients. Um, and for inpatient rehab facilities, uh revises coverage criteria in response to some of the comments received uh, in response to the RFA on reducing regulatory burden. It removes two measures from the QRP measure set, and it updates the PPS payments to reflect an estimated 1.35 percent increase factor. The, now, these are final rules. Just a reminder that the physician payment rule and the MIPS update rules are still available for public comment. Until September 10th, we'll be hearing a lot more about that in the remainder of the program. Thanks, and back to you, Dr. Reamer. Thank you, Stanley.
2: That was Stanley Nockumson. Stanley is the founder of Nockumson Advisors, LLC. Chuck?
1: Thanks, Erica. And thanks so very much, Stanley. In a program note, Stanley's going to be one of our webcast presenters during IPS Palooza. That's IPPS, that's the Inpatient Prospective Payment System Summer School, where you can learn more about IPS, IPPS. Some major changes are being proposed in the twenty nineteen Medicare position fee schedule. In fact, CMS proposes to change evaluation coding with a drastic overhaul. Reporting this is a developing story. It's nicely recognized EM Coding Authority, Deb Greider. Hey Deb, good morning and welcome to Talk Ten Tuesday.
7: Good morning, Chuck. Good morning, everyone. Well, as we know, documenting E and M services has certainly been a challenge over the years. Which guidelines do you use? Ninety five ninety seven? how much needs to be documented to support the level of service, and how does medical necessity come into play. Yes, documentation has become burdensome over the years, especially since the adoption of the electronic health record, and sometimes the information documented is inaccurate, incomplete, not relevant to patient care for that date of service. So on July 27, 2018, CMS released the proposed rule CMS 1693P. Comments are welcomed until September 10th, and I encourage everyone that has a stake in this matter to comment, either good or bad, whether you're pro or against. So the changes in the proposed rule currently only involve new and established patients. It does not include emergency, outpatient observation, initial hospital care, critical care, subsequent hospital care. But they are taking a step-by-step approach, so CMS has suggested in the proposed rule they might consider expanding the efforts for other e services beyond office outpatient codes in future years. So, let's look at the current state. Currently, documentation requires three key components for both new and established patients in the office or clinic setting based on graduated levels of service levels one through five and documentation must include a history exam, medical decision making and it must be medically necessary. And if you provide a procedure or service over and above that's significantly separate, you may go ahead and report modifier 25 with your procedure or service on the same day as long as it's medically necessary. Well, in the proposed rule, the changes that they are proposing is that at a minimum standard, you can document at a Level 2 E&M service based on either one of three three conditions. The 95 or 97 guidelines, you can continue to use those based on a minimum Level 2 standard. Medical decision-making or time, or medical decision-making and time, and of course medical necessity must be there. They're going to increase the conversion factor um, slightly, proposing that minimum documentation standard. They're going to expand current policy regarding history and exam to allow practitioners to focus on what's changed since they last saw the patient so they don't need to redocument. But when we're looking at this proposed rule level two through five, uh, new patient visits the 2008 payment rate ranges from $76 for a level 2 to $211 for a level 5. $135 will be the flat fee for a level 2 through 5. <clears throat> Based on the proposed rule in the 2016 CMS data, the average new patient visit level 3 is 33% and level 4 is 44%. So that results in a loss of revenue for the practitioner. And when we're talking about level two through five for established patients, they are gonna reduce payment from to uh, $293 from a range of level 245 through a level 48, 148 for a level five visit. So that will be a loss of revenue for the more complex patients. Also they're going to have G codes added for primary care and an additional payment rate for $5 and $14 for specialty care. Uh, for specialists uh, who provide more complex patient care. And then they're proposing a multiple procedure payment adjustment that reduces the E&M furnished with the procedure, and the lesser-valued service will be 50%. And then proposing add-on code for prolonged services, changing the time requirement from one hour to 30 minutes. So, yes, these changes um, will affect every practice whether it be primary care or specialty in the country, your more complex patients, you will see a loss in revenue But look at the burden that we have right now with documentation. Yes, I agree we need to talk about it, maybe form a task force to make changes that are more reasonable, but you also have to keep in mind that there are medical legal issues to consider and clinical judgment factors to consider, so documentation really does matter. But by making these changes, CMS will save millions of dollars on administrative costs, but I can't at this point foresee how making this change will benefit all practitioners only reduce revenue for many primary care and specialty practices who treat, treat patients with more complex and multiple chronic medical problems. Back to you, Dr. Reamer.
2: Thanks, Deb. That was kind of depressing. That was nationally recognized E and M coding authority, Deb Breider. Deb is a senior healthcare consultant with Karen Zupko and Associates.
1: Thanks, Erica, and thanks, Deb, very much. You can read Deb's excellent article on these proposed CNN changes on our website at ICtimemonitor.com. We have a new segment here on Talk In Tuesdays called CMS, Are You Listening? You see, physicians and other stakeholders have responded in unprecedented numbers to the CMS proposed E&M changes, so to give a human voice to those comments, we've asked our own Clark Anthony to read a selection of actual responses from physicians expressing their feelings about these proposed E&M changes. Clark, you ready? I'm here, sir. Good. So, as you know, under the CMS proposal, Medicare would pay physicians certain amounts regardless of the patient's condition or the complexity of the services provided. Here's how one responded.
0: To equate a simple blood pressure check for one patient with the evaluation and management of another patient with COPD, diabetes, hypertension, dyslipidemia, vascular disease, dementia, and the slew of other problems a primary care doctor must address in one visit is ludicrous. Another physician cut to the chase with this comment. These cuts are disturbing, and you've made doctoring into a joke. We as physicians sacrifice so much of our lives and time to do our work, and now we're being disrespected for doing so. Keep going down this road by cutting physician pay, and nobody will go to medical
1: school. In this response, a physician asked one question that is certainly beyond the minds of many other physicians.
0: Why is cost-saving always at the expense of physicians, without whom there would be no income for anyone? How about cost-cutting by eliminating some administrators' salaries? Mm Mmm. Not pulling any punches, one physician flatly told CMS that this proposal
1: was not good for health
0: care. This will kill medicine. The proposed rule will reward patient mills that see patients like cattle. I will be forced to stop accepting Medicare if these changes go through because I will not be a patient, Mill. Last but not least, a response from a physician in rural North Carolina. What an absolute disgrace. So as an independent primary care physician in rural North Carolina, the visits from my elderly patients that literally cover 11 different problems will earn me the same as a simple bronchitis? If this goes through, I will not be able to see Medicare patients. Nicely done, boys. Get out of the way and let the real doctors in the trenches fix this crap.
1: And now a comment from one of those recognizable physicians in healthcare, our own Dr. Erica Reamer.
2: Well, I'd like to add my comment to CMS, and I do hope they are listening. You may intend lowering the bar for documentation as your way of putting patients over paperwork, but those of us who understand that provider documentation is for clinical communication Think reducing it to the lowest common denominator will harm patients. Providers shouldn't have to document more, they should have to document well. Take out ridiculous hoops that you make us jump through to satisfy your documentation requirements, like non contributory family history and pointless review systems, and replace it with a robust history, a review of systems adequate to ensure that there is no other more serious problems the patient doesn't recognize, physical exam appropriate for chief complaints to rule out or diagnose conditions, and ample explanation of medical decision-making. The complexity of medical decision-making and need for coordinated medical care should drive reimbursement. Budget-neutral blended rate will penalize providers who take care of sick and complex patients and reward folks who only minister to patients with minor complaints and fewer comorbidities. The best clinicians may very well leave medicine. The current administration doesn't care about the average patient, but I do. The best business model is the best medical care. Excellent documentation advances best medical
1: practice. Back to you, Chuck. Thanks, Dr. Reamer, and thank you, Clark Anthony, very much, and CMS. hope you're listening. As we mentioned at the top of the broadcast, our lead story this morning is about a trending topic. Believe it or not, ICD-11. Here now with more on this trending topic is Rhonda Bocos. Good morning, Rhonda. Welcome to the program.
5: Good morning, Chuck. Thanks for having me. There's been uh, a lot of buzz out in the industry about the possibility of ICD-11, and it's been really interesting to follow the conversations and and see everyone um, actually getting engaged and talking about the possibilities. Um, but we're still a long ways away because we have our clinical modifications and, of course, our own political culture to deal with. Um, plus, we actually have a lot of work left to do on ICD-10-CM. So a couple of months ago, um, I had uh, someone reach out to me from the APFED, and they were working on bringing some new codes along, along with some ter- terminology revisions that are much-needed in the industry to better uh, reflect what's actually happening with the disease processes and languages that we, we now use and technology and those types of things. So it was really interesting to be able, one, for me to be able to jump back into a project like this because I haven't been able to to work on code proposals and uh, and help the, uh, different societies in, in quite a while. And so it was fun for me to actually be able to get back in and be able to uh, to adjust to all of those. So. Um, What I found most intriguing in working with the society is that, um, you know, some of the codes were actually missed. They were there in ICD-9. We missed them in ICD-10, and right, and we find that still every day. We still need to work on bringing ICD-10 up to where we need it to be. Um, The other nice thing about ICD-11 and the proposals that are out there is it actually gives us the ability to look and realize, hey, we actually are missing some of these codes. Now, some of the codes they proposed actually – or in ICD-11 um, that we didn't have before, so it makes a strong case for us to be able to add them into ICD-10. And so they actually asked for um, uh, 12 new codes, 13 revised. Um, five of those uh, new codes were actually captured in ICD-11, which makes a strong case. Um, and working with the society, what really, um, uh, what really uh, made me want to help them and be able to um, work with them on, on this really great project is the amount of other societies they went out to and got support from. And so they, they didn't do it in a, in a vacuum and they really worked to uh, include all the other societies that might be affected by some of these code proposals. And so um, I encourage you to go online and read the article. It talks more about the codes that were actually proposed and some of the um, information that uh, you can find on there because uh, and, and, and then go on to their website. Great patient advocate uh, website um, talking about the disease process and the need for these codes for tracking and better research.
2: Thanks, Rhonda. That was Rhonda Buckholtz. Rhonda is the Chief Compliance Officer for Century Vision Global, LLC. Rhonda is also a member of the ICD-10 Monitor
1: Editorial Board. Chuck? Thanks, Erica, and thanks very much, uh, Rhonda. And you can read Rhonda's excellent reporting on ICD eleven on our homepage at ICD ten monitor. You know, uh, we did not have a chance today to review the poll results from our very important uh, Talk 10 Tuesday listener survey this morning, but we're going to make every effort to do it next Tuesday. So we hope you're going to join us next Tuesday. That's going to be a wrap for this. It's our 135th edition of Talk 10 Tuesday. And Erica, I want to thank our guests today Rhonda Buckholz, who we just heard, Gloria and Brian, Dr. Larry Gill, Deb Grider, Stanley Knox, and of course our own Dr. Erica Reamer. Hope you'll join us next Tuesday for another edition of Talk 10 Tuesday. Until then, I'm Chuck Buck speaking on behalf of Dr. Erica Reaver and everyone here at Talk 10 Tuesday and ICD-10 Monitor. Have a great week, everyone.
0: Talk 10 Tuesday is a production of ICD-10 Monitor.